There's the other path. You swallow this pride of yours. You follow the rules, you become an officer. You get your own room, you get a nice bed. We eat well, we don't go on patrol. We're cool in the summer, we're warm in the winter. And best of all, when you're an officer, you get to tell the Bethanies of the world exactly where to shove it. Why do you even care? I care because no matter what anyone out there says or thinks, we're the only thing holding this all together. If we go down, the people in this zone will starve or murder each other. That much I know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Christian Spicer. And Dave, that key drop startled me. I didn't... <laughs> I thought I dropped my keys. Mm-hmm. I think listeners will be having that same experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Decoding TV. On today's episode of the podcast, Christian Spicer and I, David Chen, will be discussing Season 1, Episode 7 of The Last of Us, entitled Left Behind. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV. At Decoding TV is where you can follow us. Uh, and if you enjoy this podcast, you can sign up to receive ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and some exclusive bonus episodes that Christian and I are recording discussing the video game in comparison to the show. You can do that over at DecodingTV.com. Become a paid member and help make this podcast continue year-round. We really appreciate all of our paid members at DecodingTV.com. Christian, before we get into this week's episode, uh, always got to do a few follow-ups from the last couple weeks of episodes. Uh, so, of course, you can comment at DecodingTV.com or email us, DecodingTV at gmail.com. Um, we did get this email from a new paid member uh, a week ago. So this is talking about the week's previous episode. Um, Paul writes into DecodingTV at gmail.com. Uh, Dave and Christian love the show. You definitely make the whole watching experience that much better. Two things I think you missed talking about for episode five, and I would have enjoyed hearing your take on. Number one, Ellie taking out those two clickers with a knife to the head to save Henry and Sam when they were under the car. And number two, the horde of infected leaving the scene en masse towards Kansas City with the implication that Kansas City's defenses are severely compromised now, end quote. So... Uh, Paul wanted to hear us talk about those two things. And in terms of Ellie taking out a clicker with a knife to the head, I think that the show hasn't done a particularly great job, in my opinion, and I want to hear if you disagree with this, Christian, of explaining the rules of how these clickers can be felt. Like, I think in episode two, we saw them take on clickers and like shoot them. Uh, My understanding is like a headshot is like what brings them down. Uh, I, I think that's true from the game, but basically, I don't know that the show has done a good job of being like, "Here's what you need to take down clickers," you know. And what is your opinion on this? Yeah, I don't recall seeing any, you know, environmental storytelling. You know, we talk about um, we've talked about the poster in the first episode that kind of gives you the diagnosis of time to infection from a bite that is kind yeah. of just shown in the Fedra office or whatever, wherever it was in that in that holding cell. And I don't think we've seen anything like that for how to take down the infected. There's some stuff in the game um, that I imagine maybe the show will talk about at some point. I don't know, perhaps not. That kind of talks about it. But there's also, yeah, I don't think there's like um, you open up a drawer and find this like, here's how to kill them. It seems like you can just kill them, <laughs> but somehow because they're not zombies, but somehow headshots are still the most effective way to kill them, but they're not cognizant or aware. Um, Again, it's kind of one of the things where like, I let that uh, logic gap perhaps just wash over me. And maybe there is in world logic that makes sense that I just didn't grok onto, but I, I, I agree with the email. I do not, or your thoughts, Dave, I do not think the show has made it clear yet. um, What will definitely kill and infected and what won't like there's I, I don't even think there's been a training montage of joel being like don't shoot the leg always aim for the head you know or anything right, like that it, right. it just seems like maybe they um, just assume you know after watching so many zombie things you know i i think i continue to be surprised that that one shot of the fedra poster is like that was lasted i think probably less than five seconds is most of the 
rule giving that has occurred in the show around how these bites happen, right? Like, oh, yeah, um, how fast it spreads. Yeah, they, I, I don't think they've reiterated like, oh, you got bit in the thing, so it'll be, it'll, you'll be infected in eight hours. Like, I don't think anyone says anything like that in the show. Um, so I am surprised by it, but maybe they just looked at it and they're like, they had those scenes. They probably shot those scenes, and they're just like, we don't need it. No one gives a shit other than David Chen on the Decoding TV podcast. You get bite, so, you turn. Who cares how yeah, long? A minute, cares, an hour, a day, day, you exactly. turn. I think, yeah. So. Um, and as for the horde of infected leaving the scene on mass towards Kansas City, uh, yes, my sense is Kansas City is completely screwed at this point. Um, and it was primarily screwed because of Kathleen's quest for vengeance. Well, know? and because it splits two state- states. Is it in Kansas? Is it in Missouri? <laughs> like, Kansas City's been screwed for a long time. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. So You have to cross state lines just to stay in your same city. Well, one side has Google Fiber. The other side, I don't know if it has Google Fiber. Agreed, agreed. But yes, uh, <laughs> if only Kathleen hadn't been so vengeful, uh, then perhaps Kansas City might still be in an okay state. I, uh, I do you know? feel for like the limited security detail that you know <laughs> Kathleen perhaps left behind. It's mm-hmm. like you, 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 all you tough you know guys and gals, you're coming with me. Um, Bradley, just stay here and keep an eye on things. And Bradley's <laughs> like, yes, ma'am, and. <laughs> <laughs> Like Bradley yeah. had a bad day. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So, uh, yeah. But 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 thematically, I, th- I, mean, I guess is this going to tie in with what the show is trying to say about revenge? We'll see. We'll see. Um, anyway, thanks to Paul for the email at decodingtv at gmail.com and for becoming a paid member at decodingtv.com. Uh, last week's episode of the show, the podcast, there is one thing I wanted to acknowledge you know, I watched this episode with my wife. She was episode uh, six, not episode seven. And she was deeply upset by it. And then she passed me this comment from a reader at the Episodic Medium newsletter, which is one of my favorite TV-related newsletters. Uh, a reader named JK wrote the following comment at Episodic Medium about last week's episode, season one, episode six. Quote, I found myself despairing for the relevance of the entire series with this episode. We're living through a global pandemic where racial disparities and access to healthcare have literally resulted in the avoidable deaths of hundreds of thousands of black people, more than their share of the population. How can you st- tell a story involving access to healthcare, the leukemia drug for Sam, make the actors black, make the big bad a Karen, set it in a city with a racial profile that mirrors the nation, and still ignore the white supremacy built into the storyline? And the black sidekick has to die by his own hand because he betrayed a character uh, who is basically Jesus in all but name. And it came to naught. This is clearly a well-acted, heroically adapted video game. But it's still a game, the most trope-infused form of entertainment. I'm at a loss when I think about the lost opportunities in telling this story. Sorry for the rant, but I really hated this episode, end quote. Uh, and we were talking about this pre-off uh, the mic, Christian, about like uh, how the show has handled race. And I think uh, in terms of casting, it's been pretty race blind and in terms of the game uh, when i say pretty race blind i mean um you know uh, there have been some uh uh, actors of different races playing characters of different races in the show and that just seems to have been a thing and um and it's like i think largely unacknowledged in the show it's not like uh and, and that's kind of the issue that i think jk is bringing up is uh that uh, the game and the show have largely kind of reimagined a post-apocalypse in which race is not a major factor or it is a major factor, but it is not commented on in the show at all. Right. Um, nor in the game. A lot of these like post-apocalypses like aim to be post-racial in some ways, because it's like, Hey, the social order has reconstituted itself. And so maybe the racism of years past is not applicable. Uh, I do think JK brings up a great point that like that is a massive missed opportunity uh, for a show that has dynamics and a plot like what is in this show. Anyway, uh, it's an interesting comment and it's kind of like we, we talked, we touched about uh, some of these things in the past, but Christian, uh, any thoughts before we, we get into this episode? 
I, I love reading and hearing opinions that have a different take than were my first reaction to it. Um, you know, we talked about this off mic, uh, maybe after a bonus episode as well, Dave, like my background is like Chilean and then Italian with that Italian heritage ignored because that Italian great grandfather <laughs> that came over dropped his kids off at an orphanage and kept going. <laughs> and so it's like mm-hmm. uh, Chilean and then we don't know, um, unidentified. And then when I, or unacknowledged, I should say. And so my experience watching this episode, like that didn't jump out to me, but that doesn't mean it's not a very real part of it. It just wasn't part of my experience in terms of consuming the media. But I think we've talked about it on this show uh, before as well, about how art, for better or worse, only exists when someone uh, views it and acknowledges it. And that doesn't change anyone's perception. it doesn't change what the art can or should mean, you know, like a silly example is like, is the Mona Lisa smiling? Well, that's up to the person taking in that piece of art. And I think the same thing is true with great um, storytelling as well. And I think some people are going to find holes and gaps in it and things that they wish it would do that it didn't. And other people because of their life experiences or just how they're consuming that media won't see those same issues. And so that's kind of what this last episode was for me, where that didn't jump out at me but that might very well be because of my privilege and my upbringing and, and my background and, and my experience of the world um, and how I've perceived it. So I, I love seeing these other takes on it, and especially when they're well-written and articulated and not just like, it sucked. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that doesn't add anything. But I like I like interesting discourse around art. I think it's fair to say that the show has... Uh and the game don't really acknowledge race to any significant degree. Is that fair to say? Like you're, you're kind of the expert on the game. We've both watched the show. Um, but I do think they're like race is not really a major factor, uh, at least explicitly. So in either work of art, is that, is that accurate? Do you think? Yeah. Racism, you know, like it isn't a, a theme of, of the game where you don't have moments hitting on it or talking about it or like you can't live in this QZ because of X, Y, Z and stuff like that. And the show, I think I agree as well from it, it, you know, just bringing the best actors to do the job. There's no comment on, you know, types of race or like, Hey, Joel, you're a mixed race family. Our parents are upset with that. Well, thanks, Tommy. You know, like there's no conversation around it at all. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's benefits to that uh, in terms of representation, but I think there also is the danger of like missing big opportunities to comment on um, actual challenges that we in America face today. Uh, and so I, that, that is how I feel about it. Like at, at best it is a missed opportunity um, that the show had uh, in terms of the events of the last couple episodes. Um, and at worst, it's politics are disastrous, but you know, we can talk about that a little bit more probably when we get to season two for now though, <laughs> let's talk about this episode season one, episode seven entitled left behind. Uh, let's talk about overall thoughts, Christian Spicer. What did you think about this episode of the show? Well, I want to start with what I really liked. And that again is Bella's performance as Ellie. The subtlety in the looks that she was stealing at Riley, I thought were just incredible. You know, experiencing this episode and seeing it and wondering, like, is this going to be a, you know, are they going to have it be a relationship? To what extent are they going to show it? Is it going to be a mutual, you know, like, are they going to come into this hot and heavy kind of thing? Like, is this going to be Bill and Frank? Or or how is this relationship going to be portrayed on screen? And I thought having the older Riley and younger um, Ellie and in all those moments where she just kind of looks up at her and then, you know, feels hurt or doesn't feel seen by Riley in return, I thought Bella's performance in this episode was absolutely outstanding. Even the present day moments where you see her kind of angry at Joel, just really, really phenomenal work. Um, this is the first episode, though, of the show, I think, where I preferred the game. Mm. And, I, wow. and I'm going to say something about the game that I don't think is a spoiler for folks yeah. who haven't played at all. We talked about this ahead of time. We're on the yep. same page. So when this story came out for the game, also called Left Behind, it released as downloadable content after the game was out. So for me, who played the game on launch day and you know just devoured it, I played this story chunk after I had experienced the whole game. 
And here in the show, they're inserting in it when it happens kind of chronologically within um, within the narrative or, or when that, you know, a flashback it's, kind of would make yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated, but I know, I know what you're saying. Like, in the video game, it, she is having a flashback as well, right? In the, in the left-hand right. video game, she's having a flashback as well, right? So, um, so it's not chronological because all this stuff happened before right. the events of the show, but it's... It's the chronological to the flashback. A, the flashback yeah. <laughs> happens at a similar point in the story in the game as in the show is what you're trying to say, right? Yes, and so, I think yeah. and similar for character development, like why she's acting the way she's acting in present time in her relationship with Joel is kind of illustrated further by this prior thing that happened uh, in her life. And you got a hint of that um, in episode six in Ken where she's like, everyone I've ever loved has lost. I've lost or have left me except for you. And now we're seeing some of that, some of that loss, but playing it in the game as DLC later, uh, I almost found it more impactful. And I know that's not how everybody is playing it. Now, if you bought the complete edition or the PS five edition, you can play that left behind chapter whenever you want. Um, And then the other note about it, the game versus show difference is I found the interactivity um, missing. I think Mm. playing those moments, we talked about how Bill and Frank was a story that was so beautifully told on screen and perhaps would be lacking as a video game experience where you like press X to cut Bill's steak, (laughs) you know, when it have the same weight as, as watching these beautiful performances on screen. But there was something beautiful for me um, playing as Ellie and dancing and being silly in the photo booth and having these moments of levity that are, character and player controlled um i found very impactful in a way that brought me closer to the character and brought me closer to riley and found the end of of that um episode more tragic and haunting than just watching it on screen so it was interesting for me to watch because i felt that interactivity we talked about this on on a prior episode how i think often interactivity can elevate certain media and for me this episode is an example of that we're playing those moments were more impactful uh, for me than just than just watching them happen that is fascinating um i think uh, just some quick thoughts overall i thought it was a, a solid episode um i agree with you that bell ramsey is excellent in this episode like her joy from riding an escalator you know is so amazing. good it's amazing it's so to watch. Good. i don't think that's a moment from the game if i recall correctly but like uh but it's like for the show you can do things like oh yes uh, you know you that, that's one of the great things about this show in general is it shows you people's wonder at things that you and I take for granted. Right. And like, yeah, the airplane is, and a car, yeah, an and, airplane <laughs> and a car and st- escalator, you know? And it's like, yeah, escalators are kind of magic if you think about it, you know? And, and I like that the, the show makes you think about it. Um, I think the kind of romantic element between the two of them is very heartwarming and beautiful. And yeah, I, I, I think overall it's a strong episode of the show. Um, and I liked it. Some issues I have with it are the following. <laughs> Number one, talking about the politics, we have seen Fedra be nothing but evil the entire show, basically. You know, they're rounding people up and executing them and dumping them into mass graves. But also, they are the thin blue line between order and chaos. I don't know, BT dubs, uh, which is like, okay, like, I'm not sure. And then uh, that was another thing I wanted to mention is, a lot of commentary in the last couple episodes of the show have been about how it turns out the anti-fascists can be just as bad as the fascists and beat. And by the way, the fascists can be pretty good guys. So, you know, just like keep that in mind too. Um, not loving where the politics of the show are going so far. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, and then the other thing is it's kind of interesting to reflect like, I do feel like the show is starting to take on a little bit of a um, formulaic feel to it, where pretty much you every a character, week, the character dies. Exactly. You're introduced <laughs> to a character that you like, and then that character dies. That happens like, it's almost like you can almost set your watch to it at this point. And, uh, you know, exceptions to this, the Kathleen and Henry and Sam was a two-parter. So it wasn't like they died at the end of the first episode. And also the Joel death was a head fake, as we now learn at the end of this episode. Uh, or at least for now, you know, at the maybe beginning of this still, episode, at the was, beginning yeah. of this episode and at the end of the, you know, like maybe yeah, he yeah. is, he, he will still die, but like, he's not dead as of this episode. Um, 
And so that kind of formula is kind of like, okay, it does give it a little pretty, like, okay, how is Storm Reed going to bite it in this episode? It's kind of like, you, you, you do feel that, that question. Um, and then kind of like, this is less of a, an issue and more of a neutral observation is um, it's rare that a show will uh, like be like moving at a pretty fast clip and then grind things to a halt to like do a, a massive flashback or um or kind of tell a story that's not in the main storyline um and that's kind of happened one and a half times already in this show so it's it's kind of an interesting approach um uh, the bill and frank being the other major one you know uh, and but i i would argue that that was theoretically more relevant to what was happening with our main storyline because they were theoretically going to intersect. Whereas in this is just a full on flashback. This is just something that Ellie happens to be thinking about. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't have a strong opinion on it either way. It's just interesting to reflect on like when a show feels like, Hey, I've, we've earned enough narrative momentum or trust of the audience that we can like, they're, they're probably hugely invested in the Joel Ellie storyline in the future post apocalypse. Let's, cut that short for now we're gonna do this huge detour um and uh it's it basically i think i would say it's very confident you know what i'm saying like it's very confident for a show to do that and of course people can agree or disagree whether they thought it was a good decision yeah regarding the the meet a character character died which i know i've I've joked about on this show before i call it you talk about setting your clock to it i call it like setting your clock to game of thrones where it's like Mm -hmm. or or the walking dead certainly not the walking dead is like move to a new area this area looks great just kidding area is bad someone died let's find a new area this area is great just kidding this area is bad someone died let's go to a new area and it's like okay rinse wash repeat and i wonder if for this show there's an article i wish i had it pulled up I didn't know I was going to say this, but it was on a video game website, I think. And it was like, um, The Last of Us is mostly sticking, the HBO's The Last of Us is mostly sticking to the cutscenes, and the show is better for yeah. it. And it's like, I, I understand the point. The article was well enough written, blah, blah, blah. But I wonder if this is kind of the first example of perhaps the show would have been better for you, Dave, or for people that are feeling that kind of rinse, wash, repeat effect if they really just had a moment like did more of that kind of campfire moment or more just like this is part of that three months of Joel and Ellie crossing the country. And so you just have moments to let these characters breathe and not every episode needs to reach into your chest, (laughs) pull out your heart, crush it and then throw it away. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you're in you're referring to a piece from the verge called the last of us is skipping to the cutscenes and it's for the best. I think that's the one you're talking that about. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, I agree that uh, the pacing of the show is a little odd and does create this feeling that anyone we meet is just going to die in one of the most heartbreaking ways imaginable. Um, and it's it's fine to hit that note. And the show hits that note very beautifully, but it does feel like it's hitting it a lot. You know, like that is like the main note that it is hitting for me anyway. All right, uh, before we continue, let's talk about a sponsor for this episode, and that is Nissan. This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan's always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan's been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. If you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows that you don't get an EV for just the E. You get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric. Because it sparks your imagination, it ignites something within you, it pins you to your seat, and it takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, to pay attention, to look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. And Christian Spicer, in this show, uh, one thing I appreciate about the show, you know, like I've had some issues with the show, but overall I'm really enjoying it and think it's a great show. One of the things I appreciate about the show is like whenever I have a question, in general, whenever I have a question, the show kind of answers it 
pretty pretty close to immediately you know like why why are henry and sam on the move you know um why why is henry want to protect sam so much why is henry so protect invest in protect sam in this episode it was a question of um what oh uh they turned on all these all this electricity in the mall right um hey won't they be worried other people will see and then of course like storm reed quickly is like nope don't worry about it can't see it from the outside remember we already checked like it's all good um and uh i like that it kind of is like oh yeah like it kind of tries to resolve it stops the the angry emails right away and uh and addresses them right away and in the case of this episode of course um one thing that was electrifying was seeing that mall come on never has a mall in america look so beautiful than coming back to life in the post apocalypse so anyway um as i was mentioning uh i love nissan's focus on creating an electrifying life uh seeing this mall light up in this episode was electrifying for me and that's why uh I am really grateful that Nissan is a sponsor for this episode of Decoding TV, Nissan EVs that electrify. All right, Christian, let's talk about the episode itself. Let's do a detailed recap here. We begin in suburbia, an old snowy house neighborhood, blood on the ground leading up to this horse that's inside of a garage, it looks like, or something like that. Um, Ellie's trying to take care of Joel, who is alive. Joel's trying to tell Ellie to leave and go north. And uh, she starts going upstairs from from the basement to the house. And then, boom, flashback to earlier on in Ellie's life. Before we move on from this, I do just want to say, pretty convenient how uh, the show did not show us how Ellie got Joel into that situation. (laughs) Um, Because it must have been very difficult. He's like three times her size. Uh, She probably can't lift him. He fell off his horse last thing. But it's kind of a thing where it's like, okay, how do you think Ellie got Joel to that location, Christian? Is my question. Is my question. Uh, put his leg in the horse's reins, kicked the horse on the butt, and just you know dragged him there like he split. Um, <laughs> Joel yeah. recovered Tied, enough. Tied a rope. Tied a rope <laughs> to him, and you know, yeah. Joel recovered enough, and she fl- helped flop him over the horse, and then <laughs> yeah. walked there. Uh, yeah, I, I'd go. assume these houses are close, right? Like colleges mm-hmm. are usually yeah, yeah, in yeah. college towns of some form or former fashion. So again, I'm willing to suspend that disbelief. Um, and I'm super glad speaking of this scene, I'm very glad that this episode opened with that and let us know Joel is alive versus opening on a flashback and having me wonder the whole time, like, yeah. are you kidding me? <laughs> like you end with him dead and now we flash back and he's not in it. Like that would have, I would have gone back to biting my nails, which I haven't done in probably 20 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so then we, we hard cut to this flashback uh, with Fedra training. Ellie is jogging with headphones in a gym. Uh, you got all or none by Pearl Jam playing from the Walkman. Another girl, Bethany, rips off the headphones and picks a fight. Ellie says she doesn't want to fight about it. Um, the girl says, you don't fight, but your friend does, and she's not here anymore. And then Ellie punches the girl, and we find out that she gave her a bunch of stitches. So then we're at this Fedra offices, officer's office with Captain Kwong, and he wants to know what's going on, and he gives Ellie this speech and says, like, you can choose one of two paths, because you have greatness within you, Ellie. You know, you can either be a grunt or you can be a leader. And by the way, officers in Fedra get treated really well, so don't you want to become a part of this fascistic machine? Isn't that the desirable outcome for you, Ellie? And Ellie's like, yeah, that does sound pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I already talked about it a little bit, Christian. As I as I mentioned, I think the politics of the show are a little bit of a mess. It's this is the first we've seen of Fedra actually being like a positive force in anyone's life, and it feels to me quite discordant with all the depictions of Fedra that we've seen prior to this point. Um, but I'm curious what you think because this is a whole none of this stuff is in the game. This is all invented for the show, right? So, like, what did you think of Captain Kwong, his speech, and and how Fedra is being depicted in the show? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to see, well, one, like, I'm weird in this stuff, Dave. I think, you you know, you mentioned, like, oh, no one cares about that except for me on Decoding TV. Well, this is my, and I talked about it earlier, like, what's the state of the world? Like, clearly, also, there are barbers. Like, Captain Kwong has a very nice, recent, mm, yeah. or he has, a, he's got he has some hair gel himself. going. He's got some hair gel going there. Yeah. He looks, he looks very well put together. Yeah. Um, and 
there's uh, collectibles in the game that kind of loosely talk about how much of the world is still alive. They th- it's like news reports from the time. So who knows how accurate that is? I mean, you can think back to when COVID first started and it was like, wipe, wipe your groceries. And then the next week it was like, you don't need to wipe your groceries. And the week after that, it was like, here's how you should wipe your groceries. <laughs> and so I don't know if like a news clipping from the start of the outbreak is accurate in terms of the death toll, but there is stuff like that in the game. And I talked about on this show, you know, my interest of what, what is the structure of the world? Does Boston QZ talk to Kansas city QZ? Because Kansas city QZ, QZ that's the bad one. No one likes that one. Awful. Right. Like it had a (laughs) reputation because even they had talked about it. Like this is a bunch of like hard asses or whatever. There's like some line. Mm -hmm. I think even Joel acknowledges that Kansas city QZ was like, you don't, that fed was real bad. And Boston QZ, like, again, it, it it seems bad, but it's not as bad. Like In in the game, this is super early in the game. I, I apologize. I'm mentioning the game too much already this episode. But super early in the game, you see um, uh, just uh, people on their knees and FEDRA agents shooting them when they're infected. And it's kind of like it scans them. One person's infected. And they're like, no, 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 I'm not. And they just kill them. And I think that shows the brutality. In the show, we see some of that brutality by when they – killed that kid who was infected yeah. um, burning the bodies and this, that, and the other, and then kind of the hard knock life of what living in the Boston QC is like. I say all that rambly stuff to say that on my second watching of this episode, I paused it and maybe someone has a better TV than I did. And I was really trying to read the diplomas behind uh-huh. Captain Kwong. Cause I wanted uh-huh. to like, is that us government? Is there a thing? I'm, I'm so curious, like, you know, are they talking to Kansas city QZ is, is there a world where like, yeah, this city's not bad. And this other city is bad because they're islands unto their own. Um, because I agree with you so far, the way this show has depicted Fedra is, is not good. Um, and we've heard bad things about the hunters before or raiders. Um, but this was the first instance of like captain Kwong. I didn't get the impression that he was lying that he was up there right. like putting on a used car salesperson pitch to like win over Ellie. Um, but no part about this world before had made me think that there was a aspect of Fedra that was like, Oh, if we just gave them more resources, <laughs> they could fix things. You yeah, know, yeah, um, it was yeah. an interesting scene. Yeah. And it's not just like an isolated, if it was like just this scene, you know, with Fedra um, and then like, if you had just watched this episode um, or sorry, let me, let me restate what I'm trying to say. Like that idea of Fedra being a potentially positive force is carried through throughout the rest of the episode. Right. Because there's that end when like Ellie very convincingly confronts um, Riley and is like, Hey, like you're going to blow up places that are going to have innocent people like me. And it's like, you could totally see the fireflies doing that so far. The show has definitely said um, that there is bad people on both sides. That's kind of what the show has said so far until this episode, which is Fedra's bad. And by but by the way, all the people that are overriding Fedra in episodes um, four and five, they're also bad, right? Because they're murdering people left and right. Um, this is the first episode where it's been like maybe Fedra might be good in some ways. And I, um, I think the first episode that explicitly said the fireflies might be bad. Like we had heard mm-hmm. Joel not believing in their bullshit or whatever he said, right? He had some line. There's a line early in the pilot yeah. where it's like, hey, buddy, are you lost in the darkness? And he's like, if you even finish that sentence, <laughs> I will punch you out. And there's, there's a scene in the car where he's like, they're you know losers and hopeless or whatever he says, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But I, but I guess I, I didn't really um... – I, I didn't really take those as the show saying anything about the fireflies yet at that point, because it's like, maybe Joel's going to be turned around by the end, you know, like, um, yes, it's just yes, a current worldview. Right. Yes. 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 A current worldview is that they are not effective or, you know, they're yeah. kind of dreamers, but this episode, um, you know, Ellie's belief during the flashback is that they're, they're, they're killing innocent people. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're terrorists basically. Now, now she's obviously, um, uh changed her mind um to some degree by this point in the show because it's like by the point of the events of the show the main show because she is going along with Marlene's mission. Um but you know like 
her exact motivations are probably complicated. Um, they're probably complicated by what we know from this episode, AKA Riley. They're probably complicated from wanting to save the planet in general, you know, like, um, so looking at what the show has to say about, you know, this Fedra organization and, um, and the people that are anti Fedra, um, Antifa, let's just say for short, you know, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that the show has a, has a politics that I particularly align with. Um, and it's worth kind of noting because I think a lot of people are starting to catch on that. Hey, like, um, this like bad people on both sides, good people on both sides. Like, I, I think a lot of people are very skeptical of that viewpoint these days. So anyway, uh, so back to the show, Ellie's room, we see she has no pun intended book one on her desk and she's reading a savage starlight comic. Uh, the bed across from her is empty. There's no one there nothing set up. Um, also, you noticed like other things like on the walls, right, Christian? Yeah, she's got the Mortal Kombat 2 poster, which we had heard about uh, later when they were in um, the first kind of abandoned um, shop where Joel was going to get supplies and Ellie kills the infected down in the basement. She in our Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet. And I like the way this episode is, is kind of littered with those types of references that have already been paid off. You know, like she mentions that she was into these things. And now we're seeing that, yeah, she's in fact into them. And I like the way that they're, again, I think this show does a really good job. I've mentioned it forth, like when they wear their video game outfits. It's not like a huge wink. Like, again, the game doesn't linger on the MK2 poster as lightning strikes strikes outside and someone else yells out, finish them. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's part of a yeah. larger um, aesthetic of like a, what a high school girl, teenage girls, um, you know, collection of posters hung on the wall could be. And I like that they're showing these things again. I think it's fun and it makes it feel, you know, the character feel real and lived in versus uh, set dressed, in my opinion. I got to say also like Fedra life doesn't look bad. You know, like they have electricity, they have presumably food, they have like nice bedrooms, like a bed to sleep on, you know. Batteries Um, for Walkman. Batteries for Walkman, yeah. Like it, it looks like it could be a lot worse. Anyway, uh, Someone climbs through the window and comes in and grabs Ellie. It's kind of made to look like a horror movie, which is very clever. And um, Ellie kicks them off and grabs her knife. But we find out it's Riley. Sneaking up on Ellie was supposed to be a joke. Uh, Ellie thought Riley was dead, saying it's been three weeks. Riley says she just ran away for a little bit. But Ellie's upset that Riley didn't tell her best friend she was leaving. Uh, Riley says she's joined the Fireflies and shows Ellie her gun. Um, Riley invites Ellie to go with her to have the best night of her life, quote unquote. Ellie says she's not going because she has drills in a few hours where they learn to kill fireflies, a.k.a. people like Riley. But Riley doesn't take no for an answer, tells Ellie to get dressed. Um, and so they go out onto the streets and they have kind of a little conversation on the way to this their destination, which you don't know what it is, but we eventually find out is a mall. Um, there's a few things about their trip to the mall that I think we should mention. First of all, I was, I was impressed. Like, I was impressed at the production value. They clearly, like got some kind of set of these rooftops and it's like, wow, they didn't, they literally didn't need to do any of that. They, they literally could have just been like cut to they're at the mall and they're fine. But like, or have the whole cr- conversation happen, like walking upstairs, you know, yeah, like in a, an cheap, alley. a cheap way to, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They could have done it much cheaper, but like this set looks like it costs, you know, thousands, tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to, for just this hangout dialogue scene between the two of them. So it's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is cool that they're taking this time to build this character. Um, my favorite part of this whole sequence was when they go up to the, uh, like the third floor of this building and they find a dead body. And then Ellie's like, is this the surprise? And like, but not like being angry about it being like, is this, this is the cool thing, right? Yeah. You know, I thought that was hilarious. I, I freaking was cackling at that. Um, but yeah, we find out that Riley watched her parents die. Um, and that that was very traumatic for her. Um, and that uh, Marlene recruited Riley because she was impressed with how Riley could sneak and evade guards and so on and so forth. Yeah, we didn't know uh, it was Marlene then. It was heavily implied. And then later in the episode, it's kind of said mm. a little more assuredly that, hey, it's Mar- like, who's Marlene? She was the one. Don't worry about it. But it's like putting two and two together. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any uh, any other thoughts about the journey to the mall, Christian? 
Well, again, I thought Bella's performance was extraordinary. Um, like her, the, the giddiness when that seeing the dead body, you know, going up the stairs, her um, infatuation with guns, you know, kind of seeing that again, like, can I, can I see the gun? It seemed like so much of this um, performance felt like an authentic, I don't know how old uh, Ellie would have been in this, 13. I don't know how early this was prior to the main show, but, you know, 14 or younger. Um and I really found myself going along with her. And I also, while I, I hear what you're saying about the both sidesism of, of kind of how this episode particularly represents things, I found it really fascinating, kind of the first instance of it, where here you have this arguably young, impressionable child who has had no family. It, you know, it seems as what we're told and what we've seen so far versus Riley, who did, even if for a short time, um, doing something that I think is very accurate for um young children young people to do who are lost and looking for a home and acceptance and it's parroting back the good things you've been told whether you believe them or not you want to hang on to hope and so kind of that first interaction of riley and ellie saying fireflies are this fedra's this and ellie comes back not with like her belief really she comes back parroting almost exactly what captain kwong said and i thought that was a really mm. Interesting little detail of how an adolescent is likely, in my opinion, to act in that situation, considering their circumstance. But again, for what is just kind of a could have been a walk and talk down a White House hallway <laughs> in some shows. Yeah. I think the way they broke this up, jumping on rooftops and, and had this information come out was was really well done. Yeah. Something we talked about in the bonus episode, Christian, was like the politics of the show. And I, I do think that the show continues to be quite pro gun ownership personally like it's it's guns are a source of protection and coolness and you know safety in the show um and this episode like continues to demonstrate that in my opinion when she like you know picks up the gun i don't think we're meant to be repulsed by that i think we're meant to be like oh she thinks this is the coolest thing and it does it's like a cool thing it's a cool thing for her to be able to have and defend herself in the post-apocalypse so um I'm not saying I like necessarily object to that. I'm just saying it's important to like understand what the show is trying to say about guns. And I think it is very pro gun. We'll see if that changes by the end. Anyway, they arrive at the mall. Riley says that the mall got connected to the grid when the other block got connected to, but Fedra doesn't know about it. Um, and so anyway, they do this thing where they, she, she kind of surprises her by turning on all the lights. And they talk about like, they have like a series of conversations. This is like, this is probably like, the slowest paced episode in the whole show so far, like very little quote unquote plot. It's just these two characters interacting. And I think it's, it's a nice change of pace just in general to have like two characters building character. You know, I, I can see why some people would object to the fact that it's not in our main storyline. Um, but they talk about things like, Hey, why are there some stores that are more looted than others? Sneakers were taken. Soaps were not lingerie was not taken. Um, they joke about kind, it a little another bit. Another beautiful moment, I think, um, yeah. by Bella's performance. Here. She kind of lingers in the mirror. Yeah, at she the like Victoria's looks at herself, like, adjusts her hair, and it's like a very, very lovely. It's like sweet and innocent, yeah. but also like, you know, here's this young woman coming into her own, and like kind of the first hint, like, oh, there's there's something more to this relationship between these yeah. two, at least for one of them, and it really well played. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then they go to this carousel, which looks amazing. Uh, they ride and they drink more of the booze that they got off this dead guy. Um, I think that the song that's playing in the um, carousel is like a carousel version of Just Like Heaven by The Cure. Mm. And my wife got was watching it and she was very angry because she's like, this is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever, you know, it's one of her favorite songs of all time. And so she's like, this is so manipulative the way they're using this song because um, she's like crying watching the scene. And not only is it a beautiful song to begin with, it's actually a really beautiful version of the song, like the carousel version. Usually carousel you associate with like being goofy and lighthearted, but like it's just like a beautiful version of that song that they that they um, and the whole thing is beautiful, you know, like it's this like soft tungsten color lighting yeah. illuminating the, you know, it's all it's all very beautiful. Um, they, they do a couple of other things along the way. Um, they do this photo booth, they do this arcade, um, they play Mortal Kombat 2, which is kind of a big deal 
we know from multiple touch points in the series already. Uh, in the video game of The Last of Us, it was not the more they did not have like the rights to Mortal Kombat two, so they used some made up game, right? Uh, but it, I appreciated that it was an actual game that they used all actual games that we would recognize. Yeah, Joust, Tetris, and, yeah. Tetris, like all that stuff. That that was cool. And same um, with the shops in the mall. It wasn't like yeah, Targret. You know, yeah, <laughs> <or like. laughs> it, was, it wasn't like Joe's Bath and Body Works. It was just yeah. Bath and Body Works. You know, so uh, and then we see like they, they spend a lot of time in Mortal Kombat too. It's like you know fatalities and all these other things, and it's like. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, playing Mortal Kombat was like one of the coolest, most forbidden things you could do. Oh, rip the guy spying out. Like, I'm not supposed to be playing this. It's like forbidden. And I, I like that the show kind of captured that, you know? So um, any other thoughts on this whole sequence where they do the carousel, they play the games, you know, they do the photo booth. Um, I thought about you, Christian, because you co-host a video game podcast and you write a video game newsletter. Uh, what did you think of the depiction of video games in this episode? I, I liked it, you know, and I liked the, I liked the approach um, to one having kind of a period authentic arcade where now arcades are mostly games made by raw thrills. I think they're kind of like these, you know, $8 for a game, like a David Buster's experience and arcade in the early aughts would have had more of these kind of older um, arcade games. I don't know if it would have been Tetris and Mortal Kombat 2 instead of maybe Mortal Kombat 3 Ultimate or something like that, but I think it played right. And I, I, I like this scene for, again, how Ellie is kind of smitten with Riley and kind of, I think I got the impression, kept trying to read into what Riley was doing and Riley wasn't explicitly saying, it's like, hey, I planned this night for us. I have, you know, four slash five wonders of them all. I was here before. I set this all up. I've I've planned. I've prepared. And I think Ellie's kind of thinking, I got the impression that she's sitting there like, oh, yeah, she does feel the same way for me that I do for, and every time she kind of moved in, Riley would be like, anyway, <laughs> you know, let's move on. Yeah. And just that will she, won't she kind of uh energy in the air along with again seeing ellie's reaction to all of these things for the first time like the the joy of uh wonder through a child's eyes i thought was just beautiful as she reacted to these things but also mixed with violence right like i think it makes sense that mortal kombat 2 would be i mean it was for me also but it would very much be a game that they would gravitate toward versus like oh my gosh tetris objectively the best game of all time uh, but that's hey. not what they're going to play you know they want to beat each other up <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, it was particularly acute to me the the dynamic you're talking about when uh she's like why did you set this all, whole night up for me and then she's like she she's looking for riley to say something about her feelings about about um ellie and and Riley says, because I wanted to see you and because I wanted to say goodbye. And it's just like not what Ellie yeah. is looking for, you know, and it's it's painful. Yeah. But you understand why they're both kind of in the situation they're in, why they're both saying it the way they're saying it. Um, and also and what it, that high school love can be like they're definite. It's like, I like you. Do you like me? Well, yeah, yeah. you're my best friend. No. Do you like me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but I don't want to say that because you're my best friend. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. But that's not, I mean, here we see them have more of a relationship, but still it's, um, yeah. Ah, uh, all the best slash worst feelings <laughs> yeah. of middle school and yeah. high school. Riley has a gift for Ellie. She gives her no pun intended volume two. And so in the future we're, re- we're seeing Ellie read from like the no pun intended volumes one and two basically. Right. Um, but anyway, they're in the part of the mall where Riley has been sleeping. And Ellie sees bombs that Riley has been making for the Fireflies. Riley says she'd never use the bombs anywhere near Ellie. She wouldn't let them. And Ellie accuses Riley of being stationed in the mall by the Fireflies to guard their stash and confronts her and saying, like, you wouldn't let them. They'd listen to you. Which, by the way, I completely am on Ellie's side on this one. Like, why would they, (laughs) if they're like, hey, we're bombing Ellie's dorm. And Riley's like, no, we're not. You know, they're going to be like, okay, fine, we're getting someone else to bomb Ellie's dorm. You know, like, um... I think Ellie's concerns are very uh, reasonable. And I I think Ellie basically is wondering, like, why did you do this? Did you do this because you wanted to, like, recruit me, basically, for the Fireflies? Or did you actually care about me? And that's that's kind of what drives their big confrontation. Um, But Ellie is hurt. She says goodbye. She walks away, upset. Um, And 
she is like about to leave the mall and then she decides, Hey, no, I'm, I'm going to go back. Uh, I, I, like I can't leave things like this because uh, I, I should also mention that Riley has said that she's going to be moving to a post in the Atlanta QZ. She's going to um, be out of here and she wants to know if Ellie will come with her. But like Marlene has said, no, Ellie can't come with her. So this is just to say goodbye. Anyway, uh, Ellie doesn't want to leave things like that. So she goes back. Well, she also hears the uh, hears the scream, right? Yeah, here's like the she... scream. Nice head fake, you know. Yeah, and they kind of continue their conversation again. I kind of like that it was like, um, the kind of ebbs and flow of the conversation between the two of them. This episode weren't necessarily predictable. It's all very play like, you know what I mean? But it's like, you know when you're having a long hours long conversation with someone, there's like times where it's like intense and times where it's like more laid back. And like this episode very much mirrored those dynamics in a, in a really interesting way. So um, anyway, they put on Halloween masks and they listen to music and they dance the night away. And then an infected runs out and attacks them. Which was hinted at earlier, right? Yes. So we kind of hit. It's like we can't go in the mall. It's uh, blocked off. It's filled with infected. They get there. See, no infected. Not not blocked off. Which kind of reminded me of the tunnel and Henry and Sam. Of like, it's actually clear. Look, we can go in here. And then, of course, you know, uh, problems. And then here, it even hints at problems. It doesn't even wait for this Halloween shop. It's not a blind rush out. We see we see it right. It kind of zooms down the mall. And we see this like old gnarly, I don't know about old, but gnarly looking infected kind of stuck to other growth. And clearly this mall has has a problem. And that kind of made me think I was curious, like how long had Riley been there and how thorough of, uh, you know, clearing every room did she do? Because it seemed pretty clear, (laughs) but not all the way, (laughs) not all the way. Well, I think you go there and you see there's a couple things about about this, right? Like number 1, you go, you see a guy whose fungus tentacles have enmeshed him into the wall. You maybe think that guy's done, you know? Certainly Joel and Tess saw earlier like a guy that was like fused into the wall. They're like, he's dead, we don't need to worry about him. And so maybe Riley had seen that guy and she's just like, oh, it's fine. He's not a threat. Good point. Yeah. The other thing is there's a scene where Riley, when they see the dead guy, Riley's like, oh, this dead guy wasn't here last week. You know? So maybe like stuff has changed since the last time Riley has taken this path. Um, Yeah. Who knows? Or maybe Riley's just bad at her job. You know? Well, I mean, it's a big mall. It's a big mall. It's a a big mall. Yeah. Actually, and it's true. Riley's been sleeping there for a while. So I don't know. Maybe she didn't sweep that portion for a while. Um, but we also get a sense that stuff's changing in the environment all the time. Anyway. So then an infected comes in and I, and I, I do think there is this kind of, the show would be better served from a tension perspective. If it did do a better job explaining the rules of what's going on with the effect, like what is, what are they trying to do? It's like, I guess stabbing it in the head stops it. Right. But like, why would it, you know, if if the fungus is all over your body and it can manipulate your body parts, why would stabbing in the head? Maybe it needs the brain to control everything. I don't know. Um, but it does seem like stabbing it in the head stops it. And I wish we knew that that was what their goal was, because then there would be more tension. We'd be like, can they actually achieve that? There's a uh, this is a spoiler for an old game. Not even a spoiler, but now has a, a modern remake. Dead Space is an old game. It has a modern remake. That's excellent. If you like spooky video games i highly recommend dead space um the new version if you have hardware that can play it uh in that it does environmental storytelling as well and it's like there's like these demons that have infected this you know taken over this space station right and you're trying to kill them all (laughs) and figure out what happened and there's like i think it's written in blood on the wall where it's like uh don't bother shooting them cut off their limbs (laughs) it doesn't tell you why it's like yeah bullets to the body eh cut off their limbs and that <laughs> and that kills them and it's such a mm-hmm. great video game-esque moment of like how do i you turn you see, flashlight hits the wall painted in blood cut off their limbs yes video game yes i will <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway it's a it's a sufficiently traumatizing scene where we see the infected attack them and um 
and we see them kind of fight with the infected a few times before uh, they finally are able to subdue the infected. But then you find out that they've both been bitten. And then there's a cutback to Joel in the basement uh, as Ellie is looking for medicine or something to help treat Joel. Then we flash back again. Ellie's raging and smashing stuff. And then they kind of try to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, it's like option one, end things right now, you know, option two, just keep going. Uh, and, and I guess they, they basically decide, Hey, we're going to stay with each other until we both turn and, and kind of quote unquote die together. It's very beautiful. It's very heartbreaking. But the question I kept asking myself was Christian, like in, I think it is episode one or two. We hear a conversation where like Tess is talking to Ellie and saying like she was discovered in a mall alone or something like that. D- d- am I remembering that correctly? I guess we have to go back and check. Don't, I would want to go back and check. Don't write it. Don't write in. Don't write it to decodingtv.gmail.com. I will figure it out and I will, well, she, uh, you, you know, yeah. I know she says that she was alone. Yeah. Um, you know, she lies to Tess that she was with anybody when she was, um, when she got bitten or when she was, you know, in that moment, they're on the mm, yeah, yeah, okay. talking about it. Yeah. Um, Oh Please yeah, so right maybe they're talking a, about how she got bitten. Dave um, was wrong at gmail.com yeah. is where you said that. Email. Don't don't write in. I will I will find the right <laughs> I will find the right facts. But like I guess I am really curious like what ended up happening between the two of them, right? Like because we know Ellie didn't turn, and presumably Riley did. So and we know that Riley didn't want to like end her own life, and I'm glad that the show didn't show that to us. Um But does that mean Ellie was forced to end Riley's life? Does it mean Ellie like left? Uh, before Riley turned, like I'm really, there are some still questions left open by this whole sequence, right? Which could be answered. You know, I don't. You know, perhaps we get to the the, the Firefly base, and uh, it's it's the soldier who found her in the mall who came to relieve Riley from her bomb duty or something, right? Like I think there's room for it to be answered. But I did this episode. I think in a good way left me wanting. Like I, I am kind of glad. I didn't sit there and watch them both turn or not turn, you know, as like the camera slowly pulls out and Riley turns and Ellie gets the gun. And I kind of like that. They just ended with the, you know, the, I thought it was a pretty beautiful line about like losing their minds together. Um, and then jumping back into present day and kind of seeing how that moment, um, Ellie carries that with her and how she's going to, what she's going to do to fight for Joel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think that in terms of the, sort of thematic and plot function of this flashback it does uh help you understand ellie's comments from last episode where she's like anyone who has ever cared about me has either died or left right um we don't really have access to what that is about like we have some backstory that her and marlene talked about in episode one and, and so on but like we don't really know what she means by that um and this episode does help to illustrate that in a very powerful way it tells us Captain Kwong is dead. How 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 so? Anyone that's ever cared for her, you know? <laughs> oh wow, you're extrapolating. I don't know. I don't know that I got that Captain Kwong really cared for her. Hey, Christian. Ellie could be a coffee cup or a set of keys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Captain Kwong is dead. There you go. Officially confirmed. Uh, this episode. Uh, who's writing the blog about that, Dave? The brutal death of Captain Kwong. Indeed. Good question. Good question. Um, so yeah, email we, Christian we do... was wrong at gmail.com for all you. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, it, it is my bad. I should go back. I should have gone back and like checked like what her exact comments were, but I do remember her saying like she got bitten in a mall and she's by herself. Um, she doesn't reveal what happened with Riley. She doesn't reveal like who Riley was, what happened to Riley and so on. Um, and, uh, but, as yeah. far as we, we know, she still hasn't, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. she doesn't tell Joel any of this stuff. This is just stuff that us, the audience, is seeing that that Ellie has experienced. And I, I don't believe she's opened up to anyone about it since. Yeah. Back in the present day, Ellie finds a needle and thread and runs back into the basement. It looks like Joel's relieved she didn't leave him like he asked. And she does her best to stitch his wound up. Uh, any other thoughts on this episode of the show, Christian Spicer? Pedro is in it in a very limited way. Uh, again, I will keep, I, I imagine every episode I'm going to praise Pedro and Bella's performances. I think yeah. for a character, for an actor who is just laying there with maybe four lines of dialogue, I think what he does with his face, I don't, I don't think he moves his arms or sits up, but yeah. um, the the relief, 
I think that he shows on his face or that expression when, when Ellie comes back down, I think is beautiful. Um, when she kind of puts his jacket over him, which, uh, is a very expensive jacket if you want to buy it in real life, <laughs> which maybe I looked into. Um, okay. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, <laughs> that, that I should buy it. Look, Dave, I'm no. buying a racing wheel or a jacket. You tell me which one. First of <laughs> all, makes first, me happy. <laughs> first, first of all, um, like there was, there was a, uh, like Carhartt, the company Carhartt is like advertising their jacket as like, this is the jacket that, um, uh, Joel wears in the show, or at least it's like, sim- I've seen it's similar. Carhartt. I think it's, it's similar. It's similar. It's not, they're not, they're not saying it's the one, but it's like very similar, but like, that's actually, I saw, so I saw a bunch of advertisements for that one. I was like, is it Carhartt? No, it's um, Flint and it Tinder. Turned, Flint and it turned, Tinder. Yeah, it's, is- it's, it is uh Huckberry. Uh, the exclusive retailer of the Flint and Tinder flannel lined waxed trucker jacket, which is the one that Joel's character wears in the show. And which apparently they didn't know, which I think is like a little Hollywood mm. thingy. I think it's cool that like, they were like, Holy crap, that's our jacket. <laughs> yeah. So did they, have you been getting this jacket advertised at you? Like I have, cause I've gotten like a bunch of advertisements for this jacket and I'm like, could I pull this off? Or did you just go out and look for it yourself? Well, so I already have a waxed line trucker jacket that is from uh, Marine Layer. I'm not a, mm. not a sponsor, but I, that I've had for years and I love it. And so I wasn't as interested in the Flint and Tinder, but this other – and I'm not on social media a ton, so I don't get a lot of directed ads uh, to yeah. me. But this other the, – the the jacket, the the warmer jacket he had on, yeah, mm. I did some Googling to find that. Um, and it's like two or $3,000. I'm going to – sorry, audience. I'm going to live type uh, right now. No worries, no worries. And find um, this. Uh, but I guess uh, it's just fascinating that, Christian, both you and I independently tried to figure out if we could pull off the Joel jacket in uh Yeah, in I can pull the off the of wax us. trucker. I wore it this morning to take my kids to school. Yeah. This other one I can't, and it is made by Brooklyn-based leather goods company Aston Leather, mm. and it's called the Laredo Sherling Coat, um, and it is... $2,115 is the mm. one he wears mm. in Jackson. And I don't think LA gets cold enough for that jacket, but that's a good ass jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the flannel lined wax trucker jacket that, uh, also that Joel jacket. wears, uh, from Huckberry is only $300, which is basically a bargain, you know? And I think he's um, wearing them both in Jackson. He's got layers on. So that's, yeah. Yeah. $2,500 worth. Good thing money doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I just assume he found it from a, you know, a Walmart or something, right? Like, he's, he, I don't think he's buying and trading for these jackets, but who knows. Um, anyway, going back to You're not to watching the, the video versions. You're missing out as Dave and I are both wearing these jackets. <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're not. Um, but yes, I mean, we secretly, we both long to be as cool as Pedro Pascal on the show, I think is really what the, what the yes. message is. Yes, um, okay, so so the final scene of the episode, uh, Ellie's kind of like stitching Joel up, uh, and I get, it's supposed to be this like big triumphant moment of like Ellie is choosing Joel. You know, I think last episode we saw Joel choose Ellie. They kind of chose each other, you know, but this time like Ellie is choosing Joel in a way, right? Like Joel chose Ellie last last episode. Ellie's choosing Joel this episode, and presumably he's gonna be okay after she stitches him up. Probably is my guess. I don't know. Um, I, but I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, again, there's been other moments in this show and other media where like medicine is not how it actually works. Um, I don't think you stitch up that deep of a wound and call, call it a day. <laughs> I would be. I don't think he's going to be like you know super great and completely recovered. But I do think it would be very weird. It would be very weird in the language of the show. I'm just talking about the show. I, like, I literally don't know what the show is going to do. So, like, I, I'm not even trying to spoil anything with the video game. I'm just like, it's very weird in it in the language of a TV show to show like what you show this episode. Ellie having flashback. You know, I, oh, I do care about this person. I need to be there for them. I can't leave them. Like this person was almost going to leave me. Da 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 da. Triumphantly stitching up his wound, and then he dies. That would be very unsatisfying. You know what I mean? Like, that just wouldn't. I don't think that would work for a show. So, um, but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe the show's going to take a hard left and kill Joel after this entire thing that we just witnessed. Um, it just doesn't feel like a show that's winding up to kill Joel. You know, like that's just 
my perception, but maybe people disagree. And if you do disagree, decodingtv at gmail.com is a great place to send your disagreements and your thoughts. Uh, really love the engagement we're getting on uh, this podcast covering this show. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much to all the emails. We read them all, even if we don't uh, respond to them or read them all on the air. Um, and a big thanks to all the paid members at decodingtv.com for making this podcast possible. Until next week, Christian, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Well, I guess I wear a size medium uh, jacket if anyone's <laughs> listening. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, Aston Leather. Uh, the Brooklyn, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn trying on jackets right now, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. much to the regret of my family. Um, my website <laughs> is the best place, christianspicer.com. You can find out. I have a blog there. Um, I also write long form about video games on a newsletter. Uh, one just came out where I talk about why people are more, or why I think I'm more likely to engage with quote unquote seven out of 10 movies or TV shows than I am seven out of 10 video games. And you can subscribe to that newsletter for free at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. And then again, over on my website, christianspicer.com, there's links for all of that. I have a blog where I post about video game reviews and stuff like that, and also a little store where I am selling the extra physical copies of my graphic novel Consequences. You can find that there. And um, yeah, Dave, I'm in Brooklyn next week, so I don't know when we're going to record, um, but I'm going to come back with lots of wonderful <laughs> I mean, I, I mean I I'm going to put this. Out, I'm going to put this out there. If there are any listeners that have the hookup for jackets, you know, Christian and I are interested. I mean, so... we, we might look stupid as heck. <laughs> And we're going to be sweating profusely. At least we're, I We're going to look LA, like but... uh, people trying to cosplay, you know, Pedro Pascal at a <laughs> at a Comic Con, basically. I will um, also take Mando armor too, if anyone has. Mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> or suits from Wonder Woman eighty four. Basically, anything Pedro's worn, I'll take it. <laughs> um, so. Only two episodes of this podcast remain. I do want to say that we are going to be, we are planning to record a bonus episode um, after the the season one is over, uh, kind of responding to feedback, reflecting on thoughts. So like that will be a thing. So you can look forward to that as well. But yeah, um, this is my first time podcasting with Christian. It's been great. Uh, I've had a great time and really enjoyed working with him. But yeah, it's it's kind of, it's kind of sad, you know, like this is a thing where I've been doing, you know, rotating guests for decoding TV where I feel like, Oh, we're really getting into a groove. Things are going great. And then, Oh, it's over. The show's over. Um, it's just like but, uh walking dead game of Thrones and the last of us, Dave, you introduced your audience to a guest and then you kill them. So indeed. hope you're happy. Hope you're happy. I, I am I'm thrilled. <laughs> anyway, uh, two more episodes remain plus a bonus episode. So you can look forward to that. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week here on decoding TV.